Thank you for listening to the Resources for Integrated Care podcast series, Emergency Preparedness Planning for Persons with Disabilities. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on August 24, 2022. In this podcast, Stephanie Rasmussen, the Vice President of Long-Term Services and Supports, or LTSS, at Sunflower Health Plan in Kansas, discusses the perspective of a managed long-term services and supports, or MLTSS, plan. Sunflower Health Plan is part of Centene Corporation, and Centene is the largest Medicaid-managed LTSS health plan um, in the country. At Sunflower Health Plan, we manage all Medicaid services for approximately 166,000 individuals across Kansas, including medical, behavioral health, and long-term supports and services. We have approximately 11,000 individuals who receive home and community-based services in our health plan, including 5,000 individuals with IDD that receive HCBS services and another 1,700 that are on a waiting list for HCBS, approximately 2,000 individuals who are frail and elderly, another 2,100 that have physical disabilities, approximately 200 children and adults with brain injuries, 200 children with technology assistance needs, and we also have a population of individuals that participate in a Kansas Medicaid buy-in program for people with disabilities who are employed or wanting to become employed. We also have smaller Medicare Advantage and DSNIP plans, with the Medicare Advantage plan having about 1,700 members and the DSNIP plan having about 1,870 members. Some key considerations for managed health plans that support individuals with disabilities or those who are duly eligible is that we feel it's important to facilitate regular communication with our regulators and with key stakeholders, including members and providers and community-based organizations, to determine the ongoing barriers that persons who are duly eligible or have disabilities face with being able to access um, the needed the services they need um, to live safely and successfully in their communities. We also feel it's important for health plans to reevaluate the tools and methods they use and that are utilized by their providers as teams to develop person-centered emergency backup plans and to be able to regularly update those plans as needed. We also feel it's important to have strategic partnerships to be able to acquire and distribute needed equipment and supplies when necessary. And then that can be with local providers, both community-based organizations and local nonprofit providers of disability services. It can also be as a health plan using national contracts to procure needed items that maybe local providers are struggling with getting at a certain moment. And that is one thing we found very valuable in the pandemic is our ability with those national contracts to be able to determine what supplies were available and make our providers aware and our members aware at any given time. 
We also feel it's important to work with our state and federal regulators to make sure that necessary changes are made to covered benefits to help individuals be able to continue to access those services. And that can include making some temporary changes to meet member needs or giving us the opportunity to implement grant-funded or pilot projects to cover those needs. We believe it's important to have resources in place to implement quick changes to covered benefits, so having the staff available and the systems available to get those quick changes implemented so that members are able to continue to get the supports they need and to have the willingness just to think outside of the box and to be creative and go beyond traditional standard processes. So during the pandemic, some of the things that we saw our members experience was a lack of access to direct caregivers. We saw this at the beginning of the pandemic, and we've really just seen the workforce challenges increase since that time. Lack of access to caregivers when planned emergency backup supports were unavailable. At the beginning of the pandemic, we really saw some of our members struggling with getting convenient and easy to understand educational materials about COVID-19 to really be able to learn about it and understand how to protect themselves. We definitely saw a lack of access, as you all know, to personal protective equipment and cleaning and sanitizing supplies for both formal and informal caregivers. And one of the biggest struggles we saw was for members who self-direct their care, who were used to being able to just go to their local Walmart or their local Dollar General store in Kansas to be able to pick up some gloves or some cleaning supplies that the shelves were empty and, and they didn't have the capability to order from larger suppliers like providers would be able to do. We saw challenges with connectivity, equipment, um, and education or support for using different telehealth platforms. And we saw challenges, of course, with lack of access to vaccines for participants and their caregivers, either because the vaccines weren't available or the locations were not accessible to them or they didn't have the ability to leave their home to go get a vaccine or that there was a requirement for direct caregivers to show proof of employment at one point of time. And there were some challenges with persons who self-directed their care with having you know, some ability for their employees to be show, to show, excuse me, that they were employed by someone with a disability to provide services in their home. We also saw limited ability for individuals to receive needed daily care in a different setting or from fewer people if they wanted to isolate more to receive extra or needed supports while they were in an inpatient setting if they needed to or to be able to quarantine or isolate while receiving needed daily support. So some of the strategies that we implemented to address the unique challenges, first of all, just, uh, we try, have tried throughout the pandemic to, to kind of collect the lessons that were learned and make improvements to our person-centered individualized emergency backup plans for members. Each of our members that receives home and community-based services does have an individualized backup plan that's developed through their person-centered planning process. So we recognize that prior to the pandemic, we hadn't really helped individuals identify a limited number or group of caregivers that may be able to come and provide care to them that they felt safe with when they prefer to isolate. That wasn't really 
you know, a situation that we had thought of that needed to be in a backup plan. We also realized we needed to help identify additional backups when the primary backup supports were not available or able to be in contact with the member for some reason. And we needed to identify backup locations when services are temporarily closed. And we saw a lot of that happening during the pandemic or when a member didn't feel safe going to their service that they would typically go to, that they needed a different alternative place to receive services. We always recognize the importance of ongoing person-centered discussions with the member and their team so that the backup plan is as thorough and current as possible. And we continue to recognize, as we did prior to the pandemic, that members can choose to self-direct their care regardless of the support system they have in place. They do have that choice. However, we've realized it's also very important to have conversations with a member about having an effective system of backup support and to kind of talk through some of the things can, that can happen so that they're prepared and they understand the importance of keeping their plan current. To address the issue of a shortage of caregivers as kind of a backup to the backup plan, we did implement an emergency backup service pilot in late 2020. We offered a $100,000 grant to Centers for Independent Living, and we had them give us proposals for how they could implement an emergency backup worker service system for people that self-direct their care. And again, this is kind of a backup to the backup plan. So. When an individual's backup plan supports are not available, that they would have some a place they could call to have a worker come and be able to provide the support they need. We did receive proposals from different centers for independent living, and we chose two that offered the services in three counties. One of the counties was urban and two were rural, so we could take a look at the impact um, and the, those different types of situations. These Centers for Independent Living work with our care coordination team to educate members in those counties who self-direct their care on the availability of the service and how to access it. And then they deployed an on-call direct care workforce to offer backup support when the member needed it. We also implemented in April of 2020, and we continue to have provider-level virtual meetings with our LTSS stakeholder group. So we have a meeting every two weeks on Fridays for an hour with all of our LTSS provider associations, member advocacy groups, and our state regulators, as well as the other managed care organizations in Kansas to continue to collaborate and share information on what the changing needs are of members with living in the community. We feel like that that regular communication is very valuable to continue to identify the changing barriers that our members are facing to discuss potential solutions. And through these stakeholder calls, we've been able to develop strategic partnerships between the states and managed care organizations, providers, and others to deploy PPE, make the needed changes to our benefit packages for our strategies for meeting with members and other things we needed to do to continue to support our members in the way that they need. We also started in March of 2020 
remote care coordination visits with our members to continue to complete their assessments, make sure their service plans are up to date, to hold person-centered planning meetings, and to do those regular touch bases with members that they need. Many of our members in home and community-based services do face challenges with access to video conferencing. And our survey in 2021 showed that about one-third of our members are comfortable with and using telecommunication for remote visits. So we really still kind of struggle with people having access to the technology they need and the connectivity to be able to do more than a phone call and have video visits. Fortunately, we are back out in the field and able to see our members at the choice of the member. They, they still have the ability to request to, to meet remotely if they're more comfortable with that. We also worked with our state regulators on some flexible options through an Appendix K for IDD home and community-based services. We did see several day service providers and majority of day service providers close or reduce their census during the pandemic just for safety purposes. So we work with the state to offer the capability of assisting individuals with receiving IDD day services in a home or a residential setting, or even virtually, if they were able to participate in day services through a virtual platform. We also worked with them to offer the ability for individuals with IDD to receive paid personal care services from family members in situations where previously they weren't able to do that, to get home-delivered meals, which is not part of our Kansas IDD waiver benefit package. We were able to cover those, as well as some additional assistive services, and for individuals to receive home and community-based services while they were in an inpatient hospital setting if they needed those services to be able to participate in their care while in the hospital. We educated our members with IDD about those new options through telephonic contact and outreach through our care coordinators, as well as through our provider network and member advocate network. We further work with the state to make some changes to other home and community-based service programs for seniors and other persons with disabilities to, again, be able to pay family members who were previously prohibited from being paid caregivers for those family members to be exempt from the requirement of having to use the electronic visit verification system, at least temporarily, so we could get them started and get them paid. We also were able to offer to others besides persons with IBD, HCBS services while in a hospital setting and that individuals on our brain injury waiver could get their extended therapy services through a telehealth option instead of being required to receive those services in their home. And again, we educated our members about those options through our care coordination contacts. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. 
to support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care. You can also find resources for integrated care on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our recent products and technical assistance.